This is America's Roundtable, a radio program from Washington, D.C., bringing together leaders from business, government, media, and the think tank arena. I am Joel Anansami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorch, an economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable is an initiative of the International Leaders Summit. Today, we're delighted to have Emil Hirsch on America's Roundtable. Emil Hirsch is a shareholder in the Washington, D.C. office of Carlton Fields. Mr. Hirsch's national practice focuses on health care and commercial litigation. As an important disclaimer, Mr. Hirsch is not providing any legal advice to our listening audience. For the extended version of this interview, you can visit the International Leaders Summit site on YouTube. And thank you so much for joining us on America's Roundtable. Mr. Hirsch. Welcome, Mr. Hirsch. You are Hirsch. very welcome. Thank you. The uniqueness of the American Republic is the foundational rule of law which protects life, liberty, and private property. Mr. Hirsch, we would like to address some of the property rights abuses happening in America now during this unprecedented time of the coronavirus epidemic, and especially instability of contracts. Could you kindly share with us about this issue, which is essential to our legal and economic system? America used to be known as a country that was characterized by sanctity of contracts. Sanctity of contracts was an operative expression that existed uh, from the inception of the country through a large part of the 19th century. But then as the world economy and the American economy became larger, more sophisticated, more diversified, it has moved away from absolute sanctity of contracts to a more nuanced situation that I would call stability of contracts. What I fear is that the idea of stability of contracts is now under challenge because of the COVID crisis and the extent to which it is causing economic dislocation and havoc in this country. And here's why. Just over the last four to six weeks in this country, there is an increasing focus on a daily basis on things like uh, force majeure in contracts. Are they enforceable? Are they applicable? Can people stretch their meaning to avoid having to pay either permanently by getting out of a contract or a transaction or by suspending performance on a temporary basis? Then there's also a huge amount of discussion by commentators, legal authorities, law firms, uh, consultants about common law defenses to enforcement of contracts. And I'm going to single out two in particular. One is the doctrine of impossibility of performance. And then it has sort of a, a related doctrine or a twin sister, I would say, that you call the doctrine of frustration of purpose. Everyone is focusing on it. it. There has been no such focus on this since the 2008-2009 uh, financial crisis. But even then, uh, the amount of discussion, the amount of buzz, the amount of uh, mental concentration 
on whether these tools can be employed to avoid contractual obligations pales into comparison with what it is today. Right. There are legitimate reasons for some not to be able to abide by the contracts and who do need a relief at this time. On the other side, there are those who are taking advantage of the current situation, entities and legal persons which are able to pay, however, are using basically abusing the force majeure clause and a doctrine of impossibility that you mentioned as an excuse not to pay their obligations, which is an abuse. Mr. Hirsch, what are the remedies in these situations? What you were saying is absolutely correct. There are small businesses, there are very stressed businesses, there are situations where because of closure, certain contracts as a objective matter cannot be performed. Uh, but yet, there are large corporations, uh, including international corporations and multinationals, that have chosen, for instance, not to pay all of their April rent or to pay only some of it. Uh, for corporations and entities like that who are just seeking to make a st- strategic use and to take advantage of the time period that they're in to try to revise their obligations or to suspend them, that is an unfortunate byproduct. And one of the COVID crisis and the economic uncertainty that it creates, what I am fearful of is that the courts in this country will become, over the next year or so, inundated with lawsuits where these particular legal tools will be deployed defensively, and that under the pressure of these lawsuits that the concept of stability of contracts will suffer. Actually, this past week, the Wall Street Journal reported about landlords compiling a blacklist of large, usually financially stable tenants that haven't paid their April rent, as you mentioned. In the Wall Street Journal article, the names mentioned are Fitness Chain Equinos Holdings, Dick Sporting Goods, Petco Animal Supplies, French luxury conglomerate Louis Vuitton, and even office supply chain Staples. Do you see this coming up as an issue in the days to come? Uh, Yes, I do. I am actually very familiar with the article. I read it myself. It was on April 15, 2020. It was written by uh, a reporter by the name of uh, 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 Esther Fung uh, on page one of the Wall Street Journal. So yes, these defaults in payment, unless remedied quickly or within a reasonable time, will unfortunately create, I think, a uh, wave of litigation throughout this country. And uh, what remains to be seen is whether the, whether the courts will, under the pressure of these lawsuits, seek to liberalize the scope and the availability of these legal doctrines, uh, specifically legal impossibility and frustration of purpose. For the economy to keep on moving, the payments between the economic actors must continue as much as possible. That was the purpose of the $2 trillion aid package, Coronavirus Aid, Relief and Economic Security Act, also known as CARES Act, which provided relief in a wide range of areas in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. 
Now, the federal government has acknowledged that small businesses may be especially hard hit by the COVID-19 pandemic and has responded by establishing provisions aimed at lessening some of the impact. In that respect, there are a number of costs that are included in this funding package. Wouldn't you think that there should be some sanctions for companies which take these funds and apply for the assistance for an intended purpose and do not use these funds accordingly? Well, I think that from a policy standpoint, what you're suggesting uh, makes uh, good common sense because uh, if you are a recipient of the aid, it, uh, the aid is intended to tidy over so you can uh, meet your uh, obligations. Uh, for instance, uh, a large uh, part of the uh, uh, stimulus package uh, was dedicated to uh, uh, relief for business, small businesses who cannot make payroll. Okay? Well, r- rent is as much of a fundamental obligation as payroll is. Uh, so I agree with your premise uh, and the point that you're making that if there are going to be any further relief packages from Congress or, or at the state uh, government level for businesses, then there need to be some parameters on what the money can be spent for and what the money cannot be spent for. One of the sections of the CARES Relief Act mentions specifically that funds may cover payroll costs, including continuation of group health care benefits during periods of paid sick, medical or family leave, and insurance premiums, employee salaries and commissions, payments on interest on any mortgage obligation, rent and utilities, and interest on any other debt obligation incurred before February 15, 2020. Obviously, there's a wide range of costs that are covered with the CARES Relief Act, and these funds are intended to be used for these contractual obligations so that the economy doesn't collapse. That is correct. Mr. Hirsch, we appreciate you bringing to our attention the concerns about the erosion of the rule of law, specifically when it comes to protection of property rights, and specifically during this time period uh, when we face the coronavirus pandemic, and uh, certainly review the actions of uh, what is transpiring at the state level, at the federal level. Um, From a public policy perspective, what are things that can be done or legislative measures that can be advanced that strengthen the rule of law, uh, specifically in the area of protection of property rights, and that contracts are fulfilled during this specific time? Well, the uh, threat to stability of contracts that I have uh, enumerated so far in the comments that I've made on this program do not come mainly or primarily from the government. When it comes to stability of contracts, the threat is uh, mainly in the economic field in the way private sector entities interact with one another. Because please remember that uh, contracts and transactions uh, in this country are, except for those that are with governmental entities, are basically a creatures of state law. It is the state law that gives the contracts 
protection between business A and business B. So I do not see the stability of contracts being undermined by the federal government so much. And also, please remember that when it comes to the federal government, there is a constitutional clause that uh, prohibits uh, a go- that government from impairing uh, the obligation of contracts. Where I think the danger really lies is in the area of privately negotiated uh, transactions between different forces and players in the marketplace. And to answer your question, in order to strengthen the rule of law there, I think that that Congress uh, is well would be well advised to attach strings to federal benefits that are going as part of a stimulus or relief package to businesses and to indi- into individuals. That if, as we said earlier, if uh, uh, you are a business that is eligible for a certain uh, uh, relief. Uh, loan uh, or grant, then that should be tied to ability to uh, a demonstrated willingness and ability to make good on your contractual obligations, which were the intent of the of the federal legislation that it be honored. Thank you, Mr. Hirsch, for joining us on America's Roundtable. Thank you, Mr. Hirsch. You are very welcome. Have a nice day. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable, a radio program from Washington, D.C., with America's leading voices joined by leaders in business, government, media, and the think tank arena. America's Roundtable is an initiative of the International Leaders Summit. At the America's Roundtable radio program and International Leaders Summit, we thank Lancer Broadcasting and the pledge for their partnership. We encourage you to follow us on Twitter at I Leaders Summit, as well as at America's RT, on Facebook, International Leaders Summit, and also America's Roundtable. Visit our website at iLeadersSummit.org. Thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable.